At the T-minus three-minute mark, tape recorders on board the spacecraft were turned on. These recorders record both voice and data. This is WOMMLP operating out of Burlington, Vermont, 105.9 The Radiator. Good evening. It is The Rocket Shop. I'm your host, Tom Proctor, and with me tonight is Nate Gusikov. Hello. Good evening. Good evening. I should say Nate Gusikov and friends. Yes. Uh, I, I can't express how happy I am to see a full outfit in the studio. It has happened rarely in the past uh, year or so, so it's, it's a really welcome thing to see. It's official. The restrictions are lifted. COVID has passed in Vermont for the most part, and here we are with a band. Well, I'm, I'm very excited to hear you play. Uh, we like kicking it off with the song, so what have you got for us? It's a new one. I've been working on it for a few years. This is called Going Home.
corn you grind Circles endless in your mind Is this how it's supposed to be? All the green and all the blue Gone to bombs and gone to fumes This does not have to be We'll all be going, going Gusikov there with Going Home. I love the way that track ended. That was amazing. Thank you. Uh, take me through a little bit how that, that track got created. I mean, especially towards the end, what, what prompts the switch? Yeah, great question. Uh, this, I love this song for a lot of reasons. I started writing it probably four years ago. It was the dark of winter. It was February um, or maybe late January. And as life is in your 30s, everything was hectic. And I carved out like two days. Um, actually went down to my parents' house in the next town over. They were gone. And I just had two days to kind of sink down. And finally, it was like 1 AM the second night. And I was finally in a place that is so dear to me, which is there's just no distraction. And that that's, this song was actually written sort of to my hectic daytime self from my really protected creative self saying, like, don't go yet, don't put the coffee on, let's, let's just hang here in this sweetness for a minute. Um, so that's how it began, was this real sort of love song to the, the very protected creative. And then, as they usually do, it, uh, it grew from there and changed, and uh, more thoughts and feelings came into it. And as far as that last part, uh, that's pretty much a COVID creation, I think. I, I spent a lot of time with loopers, with a looper pedal, uh, over the year and a bit that we were all cloistered up. Um, and I don't remember if I was already starting to develop that, but I'd been playing it solo with that whole sort of built ending, but just looping upon myself. And so when I got all these guys involved in it, it was like, oh, yes, real deal. Um, so it's, yeah, I don't know. It was one of those things I was actually just trying to remember the other night. When on earth did I first play that line and think, I'm going to end this song that way? I don't know. As soon as I did, it was like, okay, I'm going to stick with that. Uh, I love that you mentioned the, the guys all behind you. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to introduce everyone in the yes, band here. absolutely. Gladly. 
So to my right, to, the, to your left on the radio dial, is uh, on the bass here, Mr. Colin Gunn. Everybody, please do Behind me, uh, my brother, my younger brother, Willie, Will Gusakov, playing the drums, playing percussion. On my left is, uh, well, by day, he's Mr. Jim Carroll, Esquire, and uh, by night, we call him Jimmy Pops, Jim Carroll on the guitar. And on the Hammond B3 and the Moog and the Leslie and all sorts of other old things with really cool names, Mr. Ron Rost. And I also, while we're introducing and sort of taking care, I wanted to make sure to mention, just acknowledge that here we are, we're in Burlington, we're by the Lake Champlain. Um, we're actually on unceded Abenaki land. Um, Ndakina is what it would have been called, or is called. Um, and Patonbok would be the name of the lake. And uh, just wanted to give mention to that. That's, that's where we stand right now. That's where this music's being created right now. It's important to remember that. Uh, in my other line of work, we tend to start meetings off with land acknowledgements, and that's not something we've, we've done too much here, so I really appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. Um, I, I also want to talk about the, I don't know if I'll call it the elephant in the room, but uh, certainly the Moog, Moog synthesizer in the room. Uh, you probably can't see this on the, the recording if you're watching, but there is a whole contraption uh, to Nate's left, and uh, Nate's the only one with the microphone, so Nate, I'm going to have to ask you if you could just explain uh, the, the wonderful machine that you have and brought with you tonight to, uh, to accompany you? Well, it's, uh, it's, his name is Ron Ross. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is, that's a good old Hammond B3 organ with, I don't know, how many, how many tubes are in there, Ron? Nine, at least nine good old glass tubes, and there's at least 7,213 little wires and switches and knobs and uh, we had to, you know, carry it in the back of a pickup truck and down the stairs and the whole deal. And then there's the Leslie spinner. It's just a Leslie, right? Yeah, it's got a speaker on a carousel, and so it spins around and gives you that good old that Hammond sound. Uh, and then there's a Moog on top of the keyboard, which is a pre-digital funky effects keyboard. And uh, Ron is a wizard on all of these things. It's a wonderful contraption. I'm very glad that you explained the spinny thing. I had no idea that's what it did. Um, what a wonderful uh, instrument. And thank you so much for to spending all the effort and time bringing it in. I believe it's a 1979, or that's just the Moog. Right? The Moog is a 79. The Hammond is probably like a 64. The Hammond is a mid-60s vintage, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it truly is vintage. Um, so, so back to the music. Um, so I, I see here that you, you've just come out of the new EP, Many Mountains, um, first EP since 2017. So this, it's been, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a minute. Yeah. Um, you want to take me through about why, why now is the time uh, to, to bring this out and how this differs to the other things that you brought out? Sure, yeah. Uh, I'll take the second part first because it's very different than anything I've ever done. First, because it's on electric banjo as opposed to acoustic open back. Um, and actually, while I'm, while I'm thinking of it, that's another thing I wanted to mention. The style of banjo that I'm playing, even though it's electric, I'm playing claw hammer style in, for some of these. And that is a style that comes directly from the African diaspora. It was brought here with slaves um, and has trickled its way into American music as so much from the African diaspora has. Um, so this album, yeah, it's all on electric banjo. It's got this full band plus a couple of backup singers plus a violin as well. Um, I was going to do a full album with sort of half acoustic and half electric, and then COVID came, and we actually literally, we had a recording date, I think for March 28th or something, you know, 2020, and uh, 
that that went right out the window. Um, and then summer came around and we all had a chance to play in a barn, practice in a barn where we rehearse a bit, just distanced with masks and it felt great. And I thought, you know, I better just try to capture this. And so I said, hey, can anybody do a, a recording in the barn? And so a random Tuesday night, we all got together and recorded it and it came out way, way, way better than I expected. And uh, so I'm trying to share it as much as I can now. So without the serendipitous recording and it becoming out so so fantastically well, um, it was there a chance that you would have remained in the musical wilderness, or were you planning on because you had this date set in March of 2020 and it didn't didn't happen? Was there always that intention to kind of bring something bring something else out in 2021? Yeah, it, it, that was the intention. It it surprised me, like I said, how well it came out, and that kind of put a fire under me to get it out there. But I think I think it was coming anyhow, and I I made a pretty concerted effort as of 2021 to really put more time into music and step back from the day job just a little bit if I can. Yeah, well, I'm I'm very glad that you did. Um, so yeah, I see as you if you already mentioned it, the the album itself was uh, was done very quickly. And um, how does that differ from your previous work? Is that, is that the way you, pr you really like operating? Do you, do you spontaneously kind of grasp it? Or do you more kind of think over and mull over these things? Well, I, I like that way of recording now because it came out so well. I mean, it, we literally, we had two takes for each song. And there wasn't, we were in a barn, so we weren't isolated. So there wasn't much over, and there wasn't any overdubbing. Um, it's risky because... You know, you, either you get a really wonderful live cohesion or you get one that you wish you could have done a little better with some more polish. Um, in this case, it was just one of those that came together. Um, there was no doubt as soon as I heard it. And Mark Mulqueen, who did our, our sound engineering in the barn, did incredible work. And then Ryan Cohen at Robot Dog Studio got a hold of it and just polished it incredibly. Um, so at this point, I don't know. The, the real work, I think, is in the conceptualizing and arranging and that's sort of the first half of the work, and then the second half of the work in a band like this is immediately being really flexible about your arrangements if, if something better comes up, you know? Uh, yeah, let's kind of, uh, to kind of take that a little bit further. Um, previous, previous work you did with your dad, uh, David, I believe, that's, that's his name. Um, obviously, your young brother behind on the drums. Um, have you traditionally made a lot of music just with your family? And um, do you, are you now kind of more open to, to working with other folks or is this something that's always been the case and, and it just so happens that your brother and your dad come along sometimes? Yeah, I, sort of yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> um, I didn't originally start playing with my dad. I mean, he's been a professional musician my whole life. That's what he plays with the VSO and lots of bluegrass bands and all manner of things. Um, so I grew up with it around me, but I, I went for sports and kind of did the whole no way dad thing until I was in my 20s and then probably mostly through my 20s I just learned banjo on my own and then um, my dad did play on my first album as did my brother Will and then after that my dad and I played as a duo for a while and that was really cool because we came together um, somewhat as musical peers he's way beyond me and Chops but uh, it was neat to come to him as an adult in a way and form a little duo together for a while uh, and now yeah I mean he's the best drummer nearby and I want him to play whenever possible um, you know it's not a we're not a family band on purpose or anything but just by by the fact that it's fun well say so from from uh, from what I've heard from other musicians in the area finding a good drummer is it's a difficult process it so can be 
yeah. when you get one, you grab hold of them. Absolutely, especially one with creativity and sensitivity who really plays the drums like an instrument, which Will does. Um, absolutely. Um, this question, uh, maybe more than one answer to it, but what advantages and disadvantages do you find playing with your family? Because creatively and, and musically, you might be different, and family arguments are a thing. Yeah, great question. Uh, mostly advantage, heavy, heavy on the advantage, just in the unspoken communication factor. Um, from within the music, little rhythmic changes, or just an ability to be very productive and functional in rehearsal space because there's so much familiarity, I would say, in general, it's been a plus, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's great to hear. Yeah, I mean, if, if we were that dysfunctional, we wouldn't play music together, so. <laughs> True, you wouldn't, and you it, wouldn't. And it is a good test. I mean, it's, it's sort of like working with someone. You, it's a different facet of a relationship, for sure. Um, but a little mutual respect all as well. Yeah, of course. Um, well, I'd love to hear another song, so where do you go for us? All right, this is the title track from that EP. This is called Many Mountains. I could tell you 
Just what sort of light you have shining from inside you Oh, it's so good I wish I could tell you how it feels to always have you by my side Baby, it's so damn good of there many mountains oh my god that guitar solo just sent me that was just yeah sorry i just want a Jim quick round of, right there ladies and gentlemen quick round of applause for the guitar solo yeah. I'm talking about. that's what i'm talking about that was that was absolutely incredible um i one one thing that kept coming to mind there after especially listening to the first song and then listening to that one is you're very much genre defined. Uh, there's, no, there's no definition for genre with this band. Um, we were kind of talking about before about what, what defines a singer-songwriter, and ultimately nothing really what defines a genre, ultimately nothing as well. Um, you've, you've mentioned that you're a crossover of several different things, Greg Brown, John Hartford, Led Zeppelin, uh, Mark uh, Knopfler. Ideally. Uh, dire Straits, you know, Mark? Oh, no. Dire Straits, yes, sorry, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you could, if you could try at least, could you tell me kind of where you get your influences from and what would you define yourself if you gone to your head had to? If I had to, uh, I would hem and haw for quite a while, which I'll do now. Um, influences, you know, I mean, it, absolutely the standard potpourri of American music, which is, again, we're back into the African diaspora for a lot of it, blues and Huddy Ledbetter and all those old things, all the Smithsonian folkway stuff. I, I grew up, as it were, musically playing claw hammer banjo, old time banjo. Um, so all of that is in there. All of the classic rock of the 60s and 70s is in there. I mean, I was born in 1980, so it's all in there. And I think it's funny, the thing that influences me a lot is actually 
it's like a slingshot effect from having played acoustic open back banjo for at least a decade where it's like every single note that I play decays immediately. There's no sustain. It's very hard to be loud. It's very hard to keep good tone. Um, it's sort of pigeonholed. It's like this, you know, folky instrument, which I love. I love playing acoustic banjo, but what you hear now, like what you just heard is somewhat of my reaction against all that being like, ah, I can hit this thing and it just goes Pow! and just playing with that. Um, and it's been really weird, not weird, it's been fascinating that emotions, songwriting emotions and writing songs about emotions and on levels that I don't think I quite would have been able to necessarily be just simply because of the noise. Like the power of making this much noise, having the drums, having the bass, um, it gives my voice a whole different kind of confidence, which is really fun. Um, yeah, in terms of influences all across the board, I mean, probably the ones that you named that I think I put on my website are a, a, as good a mix as any, if I had to try to grab it, you know, where's it coming from? Uh, it, it, uh, based on the answer, it does bring to mind the, the moment that Bob Dylan switched from folk to electric. Yeah, right. A little bit of that. Um, and, you know, the ability to, to really start crossing boundaries and, and taking new risks. Yeah. And um, in terms of that, new albums out, but is this giving you a freedom to really try and explore for the next one? Certainly. Uh, and I have no idea exactly where the next one will go. I may do the other half of what I was going to do and kind of do an acoustic, because you know, I've got a lot of songs that are mostly solo acoustic on the banjo, very forest-based, sort of woods-based, land-based music that I love as well. So I might go back there um, for a bit. It's, I, I don't know, in, in the most delightful way. I have no idea yet. That's a wonderful place to be in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of crazy, like I said, during the pandemic and really during the lockdown, I, I spent a lot of time in a small room with a looping pedal. Um, and there's a bunch of stuff that I thought was fascinating and I have no idea if anybody else is going to think so. Uh, so maybe down the road that stuff can come out. You know, even more just ambient soundscape looping out there, really out there stuff. But boy, does it feel good to explore that. Uh, you're not the first musician to come in here and say that they've experiment experimented with a loop pedal during COVID. It seems to be a bit of a theme. Uh, yeah, well, what else were we all going to do? <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, I can... I can loop on myself and have a whole orchestra of myself and there's nothing else and nobody else around, it's great. Yeah, and I, I think hopefully, I mean, who knows, there may be more performance with looping pedals, but just the practice aspect of that is huge. It's really valuable. Did it give you a big, bigger appreciation for the, for the people around you and the, 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 song, the, the music that they bring to the table? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, both other performers and then also being able to play with these guys. I mean, we, when we hit the barn for one of the first times, I think it was the first time we played Going Home, I actually just about burst into tears because all of a sudden this song came back at me with rhythm and with bass and it was just, I was carried along in this thing that until then I'd had to carry all on my shoulders. That's, it's an amazing feeling. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. I mean, during COVID, we all had these very personal experiences, especially with our own creative arts, wherever they may be, and, and feeling like you're the only one really listening and, and growing in it and, and not really having an opportunity to get that feedback. Uh, obviously you said you had a bit of an emotional experience playing that first song, but uh, could you kind of expand on that and tell us like, what was it like kind of first bringing this out to folks that you love and trust and hearing that play back to you even in a non kind of performative space and more of a practice space? It's just so enveloping. And I think that comes somewhat from this being personal music, at, at least on some level, it's not autobiographical by any means, but there are sparks of emotion that start all these songs. Um, and again, just to hear 
it's hard to describe any any other than that. It's like like I'd been carrying this thing on my shoulder for a long, long time, and all of a sudden, I laid it out in like some magic boat. It inflates, and I get in, and then I just get to ride across the water in it. It's like wow, this song has legs. It's got its own whole. Um, it's really incredible. I also think, I hope that having spent all this time alone in our various little cloisters and with no other feedback, that maybe everyone or a lot of folks will come out with more self-confidence and a little more creative empowerment, just because they're used to being the only arbiter of their own coolness, <laughs> you know, and maybe they're, they're easier on themselves than the rest of the world. So. I, I, I've mentioned this to, to especially Bob, the producer here, several times that uh, experiencing, experiencing this creative explosion that we are already seeing this summer is, is a fantastic thing, and I just don't want this summer to end, uh, musically speaking, because of the, the just vast amounts of talent and uh, and raw expression that people have been creating in their own rooms that are now unleashing it and it's it's really quite something to witness i've definitely noticed just physically the act of dancing to live music feels so so good i mean i always loved it but now i don't take it for granted i uh i went to see the worm dogs on friday cool uh first time i've ever seen them all my friends love them it was the first opportunity i could see uh, see them play live and I think it was their second gig since COVID and Nectars was packed from oh. 7 o'clock they, they played for 3 hours uh, and I've been at many gigs over my life with hundreds of thousands of people and I can honestly say I've never felt a crowd feel that palpably excited and free and just, just so pleased to be there and then the, the band as well, just re just bringing all the energy really and just and laying it out there. It was it was quite fantastic. Yeah. And I, you know, part of me says, yep, we should we should really mark these because you know next summer it probably won't feel quite that fresh and exciting. It's these are good moments to really revel in for sure. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the Worm Dogs, they are care they are represented by Astrology Days Records, and this my new EP Many Mountains was picked up by Astrology Days Records. So there's. A, Good little connection there, and I'm actually going to be performing at a festival with those guys uh, this weekend. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, so. Could you want to tell us a little bit more about the festival? Uh, it's in Pennsylvania. It's, a, it's called the Grateful Get Down. It's a total jam band in the mountains of PA festival that uh, Cabinet, one of the other Astrology Days uh, records bands, is playing. And, uh, yeah, they were kind enough to give me a couple of slots to go down there. So I'm going to play two half-hour slots solo, and the rest of the time hopefully be barefoot kicking up my heels. Uh, that sounds amazing, and um, yeah, it's, uh, it's surely going to be a great experience, and really, really glad you're on the same label as the Worm Dogs. That puts you in very good company. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm honored. Um, well, I think it's about time for another song, so what have you got? Yeah, I'll give this one a little more of an intro. Uh, this is called Song for Lewis, and it's also on the EP. I wrote this after the Pulse nightclub shootings uh, in 2016, and a buddy of mine from Sterling College, Lewis, um, was down living in Orlando at that time and didn't, he wasn't at the club that night, but he was almost there. And, um, you know, he put a message out the next morning on Facebook basically saying, hey, who's alive? Like, hit me up if you made it through last night. And knowing him a little bit, it brought that whole event closer to me in a small way. And I really felt it for a minute. And this song came out and, and it developed as they do. And it's just a song about the simple fact of treating another human being well i mean however you want to cut it all all of it comes down to the way we treat one another right here right now so this is called song for lewis mm -hmm. 
do you go when there's no ground to lie on? There's a heartbeat, there's a sunrise about meaning is it gives us such relief the thing about hatred when you flip that beast over the underbelly's only made of grief that big ocean so afraid of what it left behind now so many 
Can't get across that same ocean, no. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your songwriting methods. Uh, you said before that your songs aren't necessarily autobiographical, but it seems to me, at least, that they're very deeply personal. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned uh, reference to going home. You needed that moment of kind of solitude and silence without the, the white noise of your day-to-day -day life kind of in the background. So you talked me through a little bit about how you do kind of create these fantastic tracks and, and what it is for you to be a songwriter. Yeah, it's, uh, it's constantly changing. Um, it's only in the last, it's funny, even though I put an album out 10 years ago and I put another one out four years ago, it's only in the last few years that I would really feel like I consider myself a musician or a songwriter. Um, for many reasons, I, I sort of chose place over profession, um, and so carpentry and such was the thing. Um, I, for a long time, I only would write songs when the emotion was so huge that I had to do something, or, or when I was sitting down and just noodling around and something would happen, and it, I'd never actually sit down and say, I'm gonna write a song now, or oh, that, that thing struck me, I'm gonna write a song about it. It's never, I don't think it's ever once been like that, and if I've tried to do that, I don't think it works. Um, so it's usually they start with a musical phrase, almost always, I don't think I've ever started a song with words. Um, and I'll just be noodling around and something will catch my ear or my fingers will do something different and that'll lead me to another progression. Um, usually when they start, they are, it's funny, I write them for myself as medicine. I think that's the simplest way to put it. Like, Song for Lewis, I just sat there and played that melody on the banjo for days after that happened, even before there were really words there. Um, and it's like, there's that, you know, it's that really sad, sort of slow, and then there's this part where it's just rocking. It just sort of, and like, that's what I needed um, inside of me, and it's, it feels so remarkably self and horribly self-involved. <laughs> but hey, you know, so it is. Um, and that's really where they start, is they are what I want to hear, and they're like the, the opposite part of whatever is hurting me, and they fit in, and they fill the hole, and the song kind of helps me. And then after that, if I like them, then they go through this crazy process of changing from something that's personal and for me, and medicine for me, to, okay, crafting it, putting some more words in, maybe some more verses. Usually the theme gets a little more universal at that point. Um, and then filling in the space and seeing where how it lives. Um, I wish I had better answers. It's a total mystery to me, honestly. It's like, you know, I know, I hear of people and musicians who are really disciplined and really excellent about, no, I'm gonna write two songs every day or I'm gonna sit down now and write a body of work about this thing or that thing. And I, I don't know if I could do that. Um, 
You say it's self-involved, but I feel like we all have coping mechanisms for seismic events in our life, and the coping mechanism that you seem to have come out or, or, or helps to you is something that we can then all enjoy and and kind of uh, empathise and and kind of know what you're experiencing and in a way that then reflects on how we're experiencing. Yeah, hopefully. It's, um, I talked with my dad about this. He's had this idea for a long time to do a concert in the dark, which I don't know if it'll ever come to fruition, but his reasoning for that was, you know, he's a very sensitive individual and he feels things really deeply and especially music. It's, it's a whole world that really envelops. I keep using that word. And what he wanted was to give more of a chance for folks who are listening to be struck as deeply as he was. Um, and I think that's the best outcome of the sharing of the music possible is for you know, emotions to be shared and for other people to you know, maybe be caught or, or have a chance to sink down into emotion that's inside themselves or, or just to hear it and go, man, that guy's having a hard time. You know, <laughs> I'm glad my day's not that bad or whatever it be. Um, but it, yeah, ideally they're, they're universal enough that people can hear something for themselves in there too. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a message that's coming across to me at the very least. Um, I wouldn't say you're political exactly, um, but you know, writing a song about uh, the the Pulse nightclub shootings, um, the line acknowledgement you did, which I'm, I, as I said, very thankful for. Uh, also, see the, the album that you created, uh, Many Mountains. Ten percent of the proceeds goes to ACLU. Ten percent goes to Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Association. Um, Talk to me a little bit about these these other these other um, initiatives you're involved in. Why they're so close to you, and then why that comes out in your music. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think anything that I'm involved in or care about comes out in the music, just simply because it's personal songs coming from me. Um, yeah, the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Association is an awesome organization. It's nationwide. It's been growing for a long time. The their mission is, or our mission, I'm a member, uh, is to promote access, public access to public lands, uh, first and foremost for hunting and recreation, and then also to promote a really high quality, um, disciplined hunting ethic and conservation land ethic. Um, and so that's, there's nothing there that I don't support. Um, I'm sort of an adult onset hunter, but have loved the mountains deeply for a long, long time. Uh, and hunting actually has brought me way into a much closer relationship with all of the life that's around us in the mountains here than I ever thought possible. Um, and so it's something I really want to support. And also, I often see hunters getting a, you know, a, a bad name or a, an easy dismissal as gruff and rednecky or what have you. Um, and that's, that's actually not the case. I, my little secret delight is that all of these gruff, rednecky guys who would never, ever admit it, what they're doing is going out there and sitting silently through the dawn, day after day after day. There is love for the wild in there. Um, and so that's, that's at the core of it, so I want to emphasize that. And then, yeah, as far as donating to the ACLU, I mean, I'm a white male educated, so incredibly privileged, and it's just in the past few years that I've even started to realize that. Um, and as I do, and, and obviously in this country, many, many more folks are really waking up to just how awful it is to be oppressed and the many, many ways in which other people are oppressed. Um, and so I felt a little bit powerless as a white guy in Vermont, but also realizing, well, no, of course I'm not. Any, any chance I can get, I'm gonna try to at least say something. And then also knowing, and I've been learning recently, that it's all well and good to you know, put something on an album or like put a Black Lives Matter sign out, that's important. It pales in comparison to real and substantial engagement, 
um, allyship, listening, um, financial help. I mean, you know, it's one thing to put a sign out, and again, it is important, but there's a whole other level of really looking hard at our own lives and seeing what, what could we help with here. I think that's an important next step that I think, as you say, a lot of people are waking up to and I hope more people wake up to soon because uh, that's really where the difference ends up being felt. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it's fantastic that you've decided that 20% of your your work should go into these things. Fortunes, um, fortunes for those organizations, <laughs> I assure you. This vast trove of wealth that you are soon to be coming sort upon. Of, I'm sort of <laughs> counting the dollars and I'm like, you know what, maybe I'm just going to give it all to <laughs> We'll see, we'll see. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, what's coming up before I let you play your last song. So I see you here. Uh, you've already mentioned that you're playing at the Grateful Get Down. That's happening in Blaine, Pennsylvania. You've got a couple of dates coming up uh, as well in July. Uh, you want to talk to me about the gigs coming up and, and kind of where else people can see you? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, well, July 2nd, Burlington City Arts, right here uh, at City Hall Park, the lunchtime Friday gig that they've been doing. I'm psyched. I played that one a few years ago with my dad, and I believe I'm going to be there solo. I may have bass and drums with me. I'm still putting that together, but either way, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so that's Friday, July 2nd, 12 p.m., right at City Hall Park in Burlington. And then uh, Friday, July 16th, we except my brother who's going to be away, but we plus more are going to be playing in Bristol, um, my hometown on the green. There's a great Friday music series that's had hundreds and hundreds of people there, and there's food truck and a little beer tent on the green and the whole deal. Uh, so we're going to be there performing as Scarlet Annie and the individuals with uh, Annie Voorhees, our, our lead lady and singer. Uh, we'll be doing some of my songs as well, but it'll be more of a full-on dance and funk and cover band kind of a thing. Oh, that sounds awesome. Is there any other gigs you've got coming up that you'd like to, to give a shout-out to? That is pretty much it for the moment. Um, yeah, things are going to get a little hectic. I may be moving in a couple of months here, so I've, I've kind of cleared off the schedule for, uh, for the fall time. But, yeah, those ones in July are, are the ones that I'm looking forward to right now. Yeah, it makes sense to, to kind of give yourself that uh, wiggle room, but it would be great if... Uh, you can continue playing some gigs because from what I've seen tonight, uh, it's, it's fantastic and I would love to see it in a room uh, more crowded than this one, although you do have a fairly decent audience tonight. We've got a good crowd here, yeah. more <laughs> than I expected, it's great. Ron's over there saying it's excellent to be here and he loves seeing all the people. I'm just translating because I don't think anybody can hear you. It's Frankie Leslie. There's no looping. That's right. It's it's pretty amazing what uh, what we can we can do in this studio. Um, before I let you finish that last song, if uh, people can't see you live, or even if people can see you live, where can they find your music? Where can they listen to you otherwise? All over the web. Um, you can search Nate Gusakov on any platform. There aren't any other Nate Gusakovs out there. Uh, so Instagram is probably the the one that I keep up on the most. But Facebook, YouTube. Um, Spotify, Amazon, you can stream the album, it's all ready to go. Um, or, good old-fashioned website, nategusikov.com, you can get, get it all there as well. I love that websites now become old-fashioned. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we've got time for one last song, so what you got for us? Play the, uh, the last song on the album here, on, on Many Mountains, this is called Dark the Night. <laughs>
really write a prayer for this one I don't know what to say I'd say the world's full of shit and edges Some other half-baked cliché But I do know that the water flows Regardless of the light As bright the blind and dig
Nate Gusikov playing us out there with Dark Tonight. Thank you so much for coming in. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. And thank you to Bob for doing sound and for this entire crew of helpers we've got here. <laughs> I can assure you the pleasure is all ours. That was, that was wonderful. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, you can join us next week. We're going to have Kingdom All-Stars in the studio. Uh, but for now, this has been 105.9 The Radiator. It's been The Rocket Shop. I've been your host, Tom Proxer, and good night. That was great. No.